Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. So I simply entitled this in, in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, The God of the Living. The God of the Living. And we'll look at it in two parts. The resurrection question in verses 18 through 23. And then in verses 24 through 27, the resurrection answered. So last week we had the Herodians and the Pharisees, two unlikely groups that would never work together. But they worked together so they could try to trap Jesus. And they had a, uh, a finite question and, uh, and, and they were pushing to try to get Jesus either stoned to death uh, by the crowd or the crowd to lead Jesus by asking him, you know, about Caesar and taxes with the hopes that he would tell them, pay your taxes. Because the Jewish people hated Rome. They hated being under the thumb of that government. Or they wanted them to, to come back and, and tell them, don't pay your taxes. And then they would have to deal with the Roman, Jesus would have to deal with the Roman government. So either way, they thought they had Jesus trapped. And Jesus simply just answered, render what, what is Caesar's to Caesar and render what is God's to God. And the funny thing is, it's all God's. But... Uh, you know, like we said last week, they were astonished at the end of it, but they also thought about it as this was a way of, hey, you know, and I've seen people use that verse to try to say, I don't have to pay taxes. You have to pay taxes, so don't, don't do that. Um, we're under the authority of the United States government. We need to remember that. And you're under the authority of the state of Texas and under the authority of Medina County, right? And under the, the authority of the city of Divine. So we, we all have authority uh, that we have to submit to. And, and guess what? God has placed each person, each person in place that's in a place of authority, even though you may not agree with them. And, and so God, uh, Jesus answers the question because he's fully God, fully uh, man. He, he's infinite and he's all-knowing. And, and the same thing is going to happen here. Now the Sadducees are going to come. And they're going to try to trap Jesus again. And, uh, and so we just go from one question to the next. And so let's go ahead and dive into it in verse 18 uh, as we look at the resurrection question. And the Sadducees came to him who say uh, that there is no resurrection and they asked him a question. Now this is very important because the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. They didn't. But yet, they're going to ask a question about the resurrection. Now, just a little history on the Sadducees. The Sadducees were actually uh, aristocratic, uh, wealthy, priestly people. Meaning they had money, they had temple influence, and they had political influence. They were very sympathetic to Hellenism. 
And, and they only studied, and this is the most important part, they only studied the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. That's it. They didn't study the, the minor or the major prophets. They didn't study Psalms. They didn't study none of that. And you have to remember that the Old Testament was complete up to this time, but they decided the only thing they were going to study were the five books of the Bible. They also, because they weren't studying 1 Kings or 2 Kings or 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, they missed David, King David's line. They missed the Messiah's lineage. Uh, they were missing all of that. And they did not believe in the resurrection. Now, at the, at the end of their time in A.D. 70, when the temples destroyed, they had no more political influence, and they have they come to an end. There were no more Sadducees, and there still ain't. And so the Sadducees, one of the things that, that the reason I believe that they come to ask this question is because the Sadducees were in control of the buying and selling of the temple. All the money that was exchanged in the temple, they were in charge of. And what did Jesus do? He went in and he disrupted that, right? He, he formed a whip and he flipped over tables of the money changers because they had made uh, God's house into a den of thieves. They were not using God's house the way it was supposed to be used as a house of prayer. And so they, they had a problem with Jesus just like everybody else at this point. The, the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the, Pharise and the uh, Herodians, and the Pharisees. Now one of the things that we need to remember as we look at this, we cannot be in a place where we think that we don't need to study the whole Bible. There are actually some religions that believe you don't study the book of Song, Song of Solomon, you don't study Job. That's wrong. It's, it's that simple. It's wrong. We study the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Everything. And, and we need to remember that as we, as we dive into God's Scripture, it's, it's God that breathed out the Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's meaning that God oversaw the composition of the Scripture. He guided the authors. It's without error. There's no errors. It's inerrant. It's breathed out by God. Meaning that God communicated supernaturally through the Holy Spirit to that person that was writing that particular piece of scripture. Now for us, a lot of us go, I don't know how that happens. The power of God. That's where some people just don't want to believe it because they don't want to believe in the power of God. I think the Bible was written by man. No. God breathed. I think the Bible has errors. I think the Bible is not important for us to study because it doesn't match up with our times. No, it does. It does. It's, it's needed now more than ever. That's why we see so much lawlessness and things that are going on. But what happens is when you have people like the Sadducees that say, well, I'm only going to study these books, that's it. I'm not studying anything else. 
What you're doing is you're playing God because you're saying those other books weren't important. And, and it tells us at the very end of Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues. And described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of, this, of the book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life, in the holy city, which are described in this book. So when you have people who decide, Joseph Smith, well, I think we need to add more books to the Bible. No. What did the scripture just say? That's, at the, very, that's the last bit of scripture in the Bible. Well, I think we need to change some of the terminology where we change the big God into a little God. That's what the Jehovah Witness do. Again, you're changing Scripture. You're adding to or you're taking away. These things happen all the time in our culture and they're happening in different false religions. And you need to be mindful of that and be careful. And, and the funny thing about this is, and this is why Jesus is, is when he deals with the, the answer to the question, the first five books don't deal with the resurrection. They don't. And so the, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection, but yet they're going to ask a question about the resurrection to try to trap them. And it's a reminder to us, there are going to be times when people come to you to ask a question and don't want the answer. And yet, they want you to answer it so they can argue with you. You need to be mindful of those people, because I don't have time for that. I will gladly talk with you, I will gladly answer questions with you, but if you're, if you're already in your mind, decided, before you ask me the question, and I give you the scriptures, and you still... You want to argue, you want to get mad, I'm, I, I just don't have time for that. And sadly, there will be people that will try to trap you. You want to watch people get trapped, go to any Christian pastor who goes on any secular interview, and one of the first things they ask him is what? About homosexuality. Is it a sin? And that person asking the question does not care. And very few pastors in that situation answer properly. But that's what happens is people try to get, they try to trap people. So you will have people come in your life that will ask questions that don't care to, to know the answer, but they're only asking to try to make you look silly. And that's what they're trying to do with Jesus. They're trying to make Jesus look silly at the same time, that way the crowd will turn on him. So in verse 19, it says, Saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a, ma a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up the offspring for his brother. Now, uh, this is actually called the law of the Leverite marriage, but it's also, y'all probably know it better as the kinsman redeemer uh, from the book of Ruth. Uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 5 through 10 is actually a law uh, that was put in place by Moses and it says if, if 
brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband, uh, husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetrate his brother's name. In Israel, he will not perform the duty of, of a husband's brother to me. And then the elders of the city shall, come, uh, shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, shall, shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house? And the name of the house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal off. Now you have to understand at the time when this is written in the Jewish culture, the carrying on of name is very important. In our culture, it's not. And, you know, some people, yes. I mean, my son carries my name. And... Um, you know, and, and, you know, my brother carries my father's name. And so for, for our culture, for some people, it's not the same thing. I, I read this, and I know my wife wouldn't marry either one of my brothers and all, right? It, it, just, it, it just is not right. At least I would hope not and all. But I know her. She would, she's had enough of the petites, right? And, uh, but you see... In the culture of the time in the Old Testament, this is what it was. But we also see it in the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth has a beautiful picture of it as they talk about the kinsman's redeemer. Uh, in the book of Ruth in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says, When the redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are my witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Emelech and all that belonged to Chilon and to Mahalon. Um, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahalon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetrate the name of the dead and its inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So the brother didn't want to marry Ruth, but uh, but Boaz did. And Boaz is actually a picture of Jesus uh, and, and our family redeemer. It's, it's such a beautiful, the book of Ruth is such a beautiful book to read. Um, just Ruth's faith overall. Uh, but it's an important picture to remember. Now in our culture, again, this is not uh, something that we see happening. Uh, it may still be in the Middle East in this way, but not, not here in America. But it, what we get now as we head into verse 20, we see a twist in the plot here as they share the story of the Sadducees. They said, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died and left no offspring, and the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. Kind of makes you wonder after the third brother, would you marry her? Because everybody's dying, right? That's the first thing as I was reading this. I know that's goofy, but I'm like, man, everybody she's married, she, they're, they're dying. 
They're dropping like flies. And eventually she dies. But the brothers did what they were called to do responsibly as kinsmen redeemers. But this question is not a question of, of resurrection. This question is to try to trap Jesus. And it's been constructed that way. And you can tell even when you read it, you're going, well, wait a minute. Why, why is this going on and going on and going on? You can imagine they all sat in the room coming up with, hey, what kind of question can we come up with? Hey, instead of three brothers, let's go with four. No, not just four, let's go seven. And so the Sadducees are using this as an argument to show they're, they're actually making a joke out of the resurrection because they don't believe in it. And they're, and they're trying to, to trip Jesus up at the same time. And then the final part of the question is in verse 23. It says, in the resurrection when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had had her as wife. So again, they're asking a question about the resurrection which they do not care about. And how does this work? Who is the husband? Is it all seven? Right? They're trying to entrap him with the question. And again, it's a finite question to an infinite Jesus. All-knowing, all-powerful, fully God, fully man. And now we'll see the resurrection be answered in verse 24. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. We're going to camp out here for a little bit. This is important. Jesus identifies two things that they're struggling with. One, knowing the Scriptures. The second, not being able to recognize the power of God. And let me tell you something. In your walk as a Christian, you need both. You can't neglect either one. And they don't work without knowing the Scriptures. They were supposed to be students. These were Sadducees. They were supposed to be students of the Word of God, and they failed to do so. They spent more time on the money changers and making sure the money's being the commerce of the temple, that they make their money, than they were about the Word of God. And it's a reminder to us that we can be busy doing religious duties and not be in God's Word. And look like we're being religious. Like we have a, a great walk with God. And yet you know not the Scriptures. They were supposed to be students of God's Word. And this is our first application question. Are you making the same mistake? If you chose to follow Jesus Christ, you are to be a student of God's Word. Why? Because knowing God's Word is what guides our life. It, it, it strengthens our relationship with Him. It, it helps us understand who God is. I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 7 and 9. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 7 and 9. It says, Even the stork in the heavens know her times, and the turtle doves swallow 
and the crane keep the time of their coming. But my people know not the rules of the Lord. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lion pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. These wise men shall put to shame, they shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Can I ask you a question? What is your legacy for your family? For your friends? Your, your, what legacy do you want to leave when you, when, you're, when you go to heaven? Like, what is your legacy? Seriously. Is it to leave many houses? To, to leave a, a ranch? To leave a, a business? To leave money? To leave your kids with a, a better living? The best legacy you can leave as a man or a woman is for them to know that you lived the Word of God in your life. That's the legacy that you need to leave. Your spiritual life cannot function without God's Word. And that's what your kids and your family and your friends need to know. Like, man, when they get up there, because let me tell you something, I have been to some funerals. And when they had that mic, they go, here's the mic. And, and it's like Pastor Joe says, it's the most dangerous time of the funeral. Because you don't know what people are going to say with an open mic. And let me tell you, I've been to some of them where some things that are said, and I'm like, man, are they going to get to a point where this guy walked with God? It's like we're focused on the wrong things. You're focused on knowing all this other stuff, but not knowing the Scriptures. You can name every cast member. I don't even know what popular shows are out there. You can, Yellowstone. You can name every cast member in Yellowstone. You can even tell me how much Kevin Costner is going to get paid on his next episodes. But you don't know the Scriptures. So what type of legacy are you going to leave for your kids and your family? Are you seeking truth? Turn to Psalm 119. We always love Psalm 105, but I want to read you the verses before it in Psalm 103. So Psalm 119, 103. 119, 103. I'm sorry, I probably confused you on that. I love this. It says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Through the precepts of Scripture, you understand the false ways of the world. But if you don't know the Scripture... And you're not living the Scripture, you're not going to know it. 
and says that your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is the lamp. If you don't know the scriptures, you don't have the lamp and you're walking in the dark. And I, I will tell you this, there will be some youth that will have forgotten his flashlight. And they will be walking in the dark trying to find their place. And it's always somebody with the light that helps them come back on the path that they're supposed to be on. We are to know the Scriptures. And Jesus is accusing them of not knowing the Scriptures. The second thing that he brought up was the power of God. You know not the Scriptures nor the power of God. How? And the power of God is a supernatural act that can be explained because it's above and beyond something that God is doing that supersedes any knowledge that man has. But you're not familiar with the power of God because you don't understand His Word or His will. And you're missing it. Second question. If you're not in the Word, how would you know the power of God? Because demons can act like light. Yeah. The power of God was even in the first five books of the Bible, and yet these Sadducees missed it. The plagues, as, as God brought Israel out of Egypt. In Exodus 14, 15, and 16, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground as they divide the Red Sea and they walk through it. And yet you do not know the power of God. And you had the first five books of the Bible that you say that you study, but you're missing it. The Sadducees just clearly missed it. If they had been studying the, all of the Old Testament at the time, they would have known about the leprosy of Miriam and how she was healed. And they would have known about Naaman in 2 Kings 5.14 when Naaman was healed. And then they would have known that the power of God had been on display through Jesus Christ as He had been His three-year ministry. Remember, this is the last week of His life here. The power of God had been displayed because He had healed the leopard in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 44. And that hadn't been done since Naaman. And as soon as that was done, Jesus had to leave the town. Because the word and the crowds got so big. And yet they did not know the power of God. It's a beautiful thing when the power of God begins to move in people's lives. Can I tell you, I'll see the power of God this weekend at the youth retreat. Part of seeing the power of God is being a servant of God. Is being involved. We've seen the power of God move through this little church. 
As I was driving out here this morning, I was thinking, man, I, it was almost a year and a couple months ago we just started coming out here. And it's the power of God that sustained it. Because it's God's church, it's not Mike's. It's the power of God that wakes you up in the morning when you don't feel like going to church. And it's the Holy Spirit that nudges you and you go, I got to go. I need to be there. After you've had a night of no sleep. And yet there'll be the, the power of God that we'll see this weekend as we'll see probably some youth freed of pornography. As the Holy Spirit begins to move in the Word of God, as the, as the child learns and the youth learns the Word of God, and it washes the heart and softens it, and they repent. And they're on fire when they come back. It's like you can see it. You can be, you, he wants you to be a part of it. But you got to get involved. Look at Acts chapter 2. There's a verse for Calvary Chapel that we, we believe that every ministry, every ministry, and I can tell you any ministry that will ever be started in this church will have to be based upon Acts, Acts chapter 2 verse 42. That simple. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I want you to catch verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And continue to read on verse 44. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were in the Word of God. And then what happened? Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. I mean, we have to be very careful that we don't miss it too. And God wants to use us. But see, there are Sadducees today in this world that are pulling people away. We have false teachers in the pulpits. And just as they missed it, the Sadducees here with Jesus, they missed it because they knew not the Scriptures and they nor the power of God. We have that same thing happening today because we've gotten away from teaching the Word of God and teaching motivational speaking. I need to make you happy. I need to make you feel good. I, I'm, I, I just want to tell you about heaven and not about repentance. And that's not how it works. And we have false religions today that have made void of knowing the Scriptures and the power of God. They're doing everything in their own flesh. And, and 
when I give you all things, it's not for me to try to be political. It's to try to warn you to be careful. So you can go look at it for yourselves. Because we have Sadducees today. We have this Agenda 2030. And in poverty, 2030. Doesn't in poverty sound like a great thing? It's not. There are 17 commandments that the UN put together. Now, if you think I went to some, you know, uh, page to try to find this stuff, guess what? It was on the UN's page. It was their PDFs. And yet you have the Lutheran Church, the Lutheran World Federation that's backing this, the Pope, Max Licato, Timothy Keller, Rick Warren. Rick Warren even spoke at the World Economic Forum. And yet like Sadducees of their time, they're pushing us to try to move to a one world religion. Because that's what the initial thing of the UN Agenda 2030. Do yourself a favor, go read it. All you have to do is type in Agenda 2030 Religion. As they talk about gender equality. And moving females into pastoral roles. Because men should not be interpreting Scripture for women. We don't interpret the Scripture. This is God's Word. You see what I'm saying? But what happens when you know not the Scriptures, nor the power of God, you get swayed by the world. And I tell you this because this is happening right in front of us. And I'll get more into this because part of the 2030 agenda had to deal with abortion. And making it available throughout the world. So why do you think everybody's upset now? That America has sent it back down to the states. See, we need to be very careful to understand that there's a, a, an evil that acts like light. And we can't be fooled by it. Because if you do not know the Scriptures, you will be swayed and pulled away. And un unfortunately, there are a lot of Man, I'm not talking just churches. I'm talking about full like congressional or congregational churches. Like the Lutheran church is pulled into this. The Episcopal church pulled into this. The Pope and the Catholic church, not the American part of it, but the rest of it is being pulled into this. And when they show the religion on the UN, it's a circle with all the religions. They never talk about Christianity. Funny thing, always Muslim, Islam, Buddhist, Hindu. But there are these SNGs that are happening or SDGs that are happening, these special bridges that they're calling them to create a way because spiritual leaders have so much power is what, the, what it says on the thing. And they know how to sway the hearts of people. And then that way there's a political and a spiritual bridge to create what the UN needs. It, it's crazy. And so like the Sadducees here, you know, we have it happening in our times. And I only tell you this because I want you to be aware, to be, to be alert. 
But let me tell you, the, the thing that's going to make you more alert is knowing the Scriptures and knowing how to recognize the power of God through the Scriptures. Because when we're recognizing things off emotions and feelings, uh-uh, you need to be careful with that. Because the devil uses light. It's a false light to try to trick you and pull you away. So Jesus is, he comes straight out and tells him very bluntly, you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. Then he goes on in verse 25 to answer. He says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Like angels, okay? You're not angels. You're like them. Meaning that you are, are created beings by God. Uh, and, and you uh, will no longer be uh, to die. And, and I, you know, I don't understand why people get wrapped up and think they're going to turn into an angel. You're not, okay? Just, that's probably the easiest way to remember it. There will be a resurrection. So Jesus responds to him explaining that there is going to be a resurrection. But there will be no marriage relationship in heaven. Right? So why aren't they married in heaven? Don't get me wrong. I remember the first time I heard this, I was like, wait, what? I've known Teresa more than I've known my parents. We spent more time than my mom and dad growing up. Known her since I was 16. First time I heard the scripture, I was like, well, I can remember. I was probably a year and four or five months in, into being a Christian. And I was like, well, I don't want to be in heaven. I want to be married. I don't want somebody else pulling up on my wife in heaven. But that was because I didn't know the scriptures. I was still learning. You understand that your wife is not going to be your concern when you get to heaven. You'll be worshiping God. And, and there's a reason why we are in marriage here because God had it for a created purpose. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is very important. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. So what do you think abortion does? It goes directly against God's intention. But there was a purpose for marriage. And did you catch it? It was a male and a what? Female. That's the only marriage that God recognizes. That's the reality. That's what Scripture says. God created it. And it says, And fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the living things that move on the earth. So God designed marriage here on earth to what? To be fruitful and to multiply here on earth. Not needed in heaven. It's not needed in heaven. It says in verse 26, it says, As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? So Jesus is going to take them to the Scriptures. 
since they don't know the Scriptures, He's going to take them to the Scriptures. And sometimes that's what we need to do. Like if somebody says, well, I thought, no, let's read the Scripture. Let's read what God's Word says. Look, you can be mad at me all day long you want at abortion. You can be mad at me all day long about homosexuality or sexual immorality or, or, or gender. All these things are God's words. You, you're not mad at me. You're mad at God. And, and that's what he's doing. In the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he's answering him about the resurrection. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, is exactly where Jesus has taken him to. So he's, he's telling him, hey, you know not the Scripture. Let me take you to Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. That's part of the first five books of the Bible that you're supposed to know, but you don't know. See, what we have here is we know that, that He is the God of the living. It tells us in, in that last part, part of the verse, He is not the God of the dead, but, the, but of the living. You are quite wrong. He is the God of the living. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God speaks to Moses, and so therefore Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive when, when God speaks to Moses. Because they had died long before Moses. And therefore Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must have been resurrected. And so we understand that there is a resurrection. This is where people need to, like, we see all these things that are going on in the world like this Agenda 2030 is pushing, like everything's moving towards this one world system. That's because Jesus is returning. The rapture is going to happen. And the resurrection, to understand this, is to understand that you have an eternal place of destination. It's either a wide road or a narrow road. Either the wide road to hell or the narrow road to heaven. And, and we all have the opportunity uh, to choose. But once you decide not to choose and you're gone from this earth, it's too late. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. By that time, it's too late. You can't go, oh man, I should have believed. Too late. Your destination is already, already picked. So for us as Christians is to remember that we serve a God that's living. For some reason, I don't know what it is, Christians say the prayer and they think, I got my ticket to heaven. Lord, I'll see you when you get to heaven. No, He's the God of the living. He wants to use you now. He wants to actually say, you know what? You're my son, you're my daughter. I have things for you to do. That I have planned. In Isaiah chapter 26 verse 19 it says, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy, for your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Talking about the resurrection. Actually in Job chapter 19 verse 25 it says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand up upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet my flesh I shall see God, 
whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will, we, how will we pursue him? And the root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword, for the wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. That, that's a hard one for people to wrap their heads around. Job is trying to explain to, to his friends that, hey, there is going to be a judgment. And, and death is not the end. And you go, wait a minute, if they're going to hell, no. Death is not the end. You will live eternally. Again, this is, I'm not going to be that, and, and sometimes I, I, I feel like I can be really harsh on this, but I'm not trying to be. I'm trying to get you all to understand, like when you talk to people, there should be a sense of urgency. Like, like death is not the end. Your soul will continue, but it's going to continue either in heaven or hell. It's what you do here. Your choice you make here, will you choose to repent and follow Jesus or not? And understanding that we serve a God that's living. We serve a God that's, that's living, a God that, that is wanting to, to use you to be the salt and the light here. To understand that you're saved by grace, not by works. But very important, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Our living God has prepared good works for each one of us that have chosen, chosen to follow him. And we do that by seeking his will daily. We do that by seeking his word daily. Because why? His word is living. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and the joints and of the marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Who does not, he who does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. So those two questions we come back to. Do you know the scriptures? Are you making the same mistake the Sadducees made? Are you spending time in God's word? And the other question was, what type of legacy are you going to leave for your family? For your friends? Is it a legacy that's built upon the word of God? That's built upon living for God? Serving the living God? And, and you're never going to recognize the power of God if you're not in the scriptures. You need to be in God's word daily. That's why pastors talk about it all the time if God's word is living how is it going to change your life if you're not in it you're leaving your lamp you're starting your day and leaving your lamp in the bedroom the thing that's supposed to guide your day you know it's it's for us as Christians there's no excuse every one of us have phones Every one of us have apps on our phones that we can listen to the Word of God wherever, wherever we're at, even at work. Even driving to work or driving home from work. 
You can tell me all you know about all these other things that are secular, but can you tell me about the scriptures? Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.